0: I trust you all had a great 4th of July, um, celebrating independence that uh, so many people sacrificed for us to have. Um, I always like it because it reminds me kind of not just only of that, but also just of the, the independence and freedom that we have in Christ. So I just, I like 4th of July. I also like to blow stuff up to make it less holy, just so you guys know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but most of us are, are, are clamoring or desiring for something miraculous, Right? like you, you have this desire in you to see something amazing. You, you desire to, to see a miracle. Um, in fact, some of us, when it comes to, comes to God and, and, and things with Him, we, we are dying to see Him do something in our life. We want to we see something amazing and something, something big. And I think the problem is, is that a lot of times because of that, we, we miss some of the very basic foundational miracles that He's done to us because we're looking for something new. I don't know if you, you know, as a kid you get excited and as you get older, like the same things that brought you excitement when you were little, they, they just don't bring you excitement anymore. When I was, we were out camping this week and there's a hot spring and I was throwing my kids up in the air and just throwing them straight up and down was, was fun and they enjoyed it. But then, you know, it's like, hey, now flip me and, and do all these things. I like, basically threw up my back trying to throw my kids up and down. But what was interesting is as I was doing that, the kids were loving it. And at first I'm doing it, you know, you know mom and everyone's got the camera out. And like this is great, great, you know, fun stuff to show. But as a, the, even though my daughters could have said over and over and over and over and over and over again, the adults kind of just moved on. Like it was neat at first, seeing a kid fly in the air, but it kind of gets boring and old. You know, they don't drown, they don't die, which is good, but nothing really exciting happens outside of that. And so, I think the problem is that most of us we we lose excitement so quickly. We 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 run from miraculous things so quickly, and and I think honestly, it's interesting if if, if we were more like a child. I, I think it, it's safe to say that we would probably enjoy things a lot more for a lot longer. Any of you have kids right now, like I said, that you can do the same thing over and over and over again. They're amazed by a butterfly. And yeah, I've seen hundreds of butterflies. You know, they're amazed by the simplest things. And I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of, in a lot of things, we, we need to be more like children. But I think when it comes to miracles in life, I think this is one of the areas that we struggle the most with God. In fact, some of you in here right now are saying, I won't believe. I do not believe God because he hasn't done blank, blank, or blank. Or I will believe you, God, if you will do this, this, or this. We have these, we have these exceptions of, of, of wanting to see God do something amazing. It's like, yeah, okay, God, you, you saved me. That's cool. Everything's good there, but, but I really want a spouse. If you really loved me, I would do this. And some of us were battling depression and anxiousness and all sorts of other things because, because we're hoping for something to God to give to us, but yet he hasn't given it to us yet, or we haven't received it from him yet, and so we're, we're withholding our life of surrender with him because he hasn't done for us something amazing. And we see it in the scriptures over and over and over again. Mir- miracles happen, amazing things happen, yet people still don't believe. And so what would make it different for us today? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. This is where we are today remember Jesus had just run a quick little errand. He left Capernaum, which is his home city. Even though he was from Nazareth, he is residing in Capernaum. This is actually a a present-day picture of the second century synagogue in Capernaum. There's the first century stones right below this. Um, And in Capernaum, it's on the Sea of Galilee. He had just, Nazareth is kind of over here from the Sea of Galilee, and then he was just in the Gadarenes over here. And he had just gone over there, calmed the storm, met the guy with the demon possession, told him, and, and healed him, and then he's now come back into Capernaum. And just before he left Capernaum, don't forget, he, he had done a bunch of amazing miracles. He touched a leper and healed him on the spot in front of people. He had healed the centurion's servant from a long distance, and, and Peter's mother-in-law, he had healed her. And so he's, he's already started to create this buzz about him. And so when he shows up to Capernaum, the Gospels of Luke and Mark give us a little bit more of this story. Um, Mark chapter 2 and Luke 5, if you want to go read it. And he basically shows up, and the crowds are already assembling like Jesus is back. And so that's where we're going to pick up on chapter 9. Verse 1, and getting into the boat, he crossed over and came into his own city, Capernaum. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. And so the Gospel of Mark and Luke tell us that this is a little bit different, where in Capernaum, there, there were a bunch of people, and Jesus is teaching at this point in in a house. He's just hanging out in a house, and there's a bunch of people around. In fact, it tells us that that scribes and Pharisees have made their way all the way from Jerusalem. It's about 13 miles from here to start hearing what Jesus was teaching, and so there's buzz that's gone all over Israel, starting to spread about what Jesus is doing and who he is, and he's in this house teaching, and the house is so full that, that these guys, these friends of this paralytic can't get in, and so what they do is they climb, and all the houses in this day would usually have an upper room of some sort. And they, they climbed up to the upper room and they, they shredded the, the, the ceiling and, and, and lowered this paralytic in because there was no room for them to get to him. I always, I don't know if you do this, but when I read stories, I kind of try and picture it. Now, I picture it not being super loud because Jesus is teaching. But Matthew doesn't really give us much other than it's like they lowered him through the roof. Do you think that maybe someone might have heard or stuff was falling from the roof? Like, what's going on up here? But either way... Just drops in and all of a sudden this paralytic, like this guy's sitting right before him. And he's just laying before him. And a few things are, that are happening here are, are just amazing. And so I want to kind of define a couple things and then we're going to come back to the story and kind of go through it in slow motion a little bit. First thing is, is that, that Jesus, Jesus does um, something that is, is amazing. He says, when this guy gets dropped down, he says, take heart or, or take courage. Don't be afraid. And that is such a huge statement for him to say. Mainly because anyone in this day and age believed, and, and, and some still to this day believe, but most predominantly at this time, any ailment or disease or, or, or um, deformity was a result of sin. And so they all believe that, that the sin of this man or the sin of um, his, his ancestors is why he is, a, is, is paralyzed. And we believe this man was probably quadriplegic, so he couldn't move his hands or his legs. He, he maybe could have talked, maybe he couldn't have, We don't know that, that this, the... The, story, the account isn't clear enough on that. But either way, he would have believed because he had been ostracized by, by, by everyone in the community. People would stay away from him. It's obviously that this, is, this man is, is of sin or of his ancestor's sin. And so God has punished him and created this deformity on him. And that was a common belief. And so here's this guy, this, this quadriplegic that has these friends. They had to have been good friends of his because it, it was, I mean, they wouldn't have put the effort in. Like I said, most people would have just ignored anyone in this level they would have just been on the side of the road begging and, and people would have kept their distance from him maybe throwing a, a, a buck or two their way every now and then and these guys lower them lower him down and and he's being dropped in amongst Jesus who has this this stigma about him and scribes and pharisees and they were the first people to tell him what he had done wrong and why he was a quadriplegic or why he was paralyzed They were the first people to point out, this man doesn't belong in society. He's a lower class person. And here's this this quadriplegic. They can't get him to Jesus. And so in the most obvious and awkward way ever, they like stop the room by dropping him in through the ceiling. And so when Jesus utters these words, I think it's 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 a tender thing he does. Take heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Which is so intriguing because here the scribes are the first people that we... It's important to know that they, they thought these things and Jesus knowing their thoughts. I think that's an interesting thing to, to take, take, take note of. Jesus knew their thoughts without them even seeing anything. And then he hears their thoughts and says, why do you think evil? See, the, the scribes knew that God was the only one that could forgive sins. And so they're saying, he's blasphemy. He's trying to forgive sins and only God can do it. And you know what? The scribes were right. God is the only one that could forgive sins. They were just wrong in who Jesus was. And they were upset and they get all mad about this. And then he asks this rhetorical question. He's like, what's easier to do? Say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And I love rhetorical questions from Jesus because they always come with like a smack at the end of it, right? Rhetorical question. Like if I say his sins are forgiven, there's, I get it. None of you know if his sins really are forgiven. But, and then he says, but so you know, so you know that the Son of Man, which is a, a, a term of humility that Jesus uses predominantly for himself in Matthew, the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Hey, dude, get up, walk, get out of here, go home. And the guy stands up and walks and leaves. And, and everyone's like, whoa. And they were afraid. And that word is, is where we get, it's a Greek word where we get phobia. And that word actually can be used a number of ways. First is, is true fear or more of a reverential awe of amazement. And that's where this was. And I love that Jesus had just taught, do your, you know, let your light shine before men So they'll glorify your God who's in heaven. And what does it say right here? They glorified God. They glorified God. So here Jesus does this miracle. But see, I can't help but think that everyone in that room missed the point. Everyone missed the point. And I feel like the same thing. We missed the same point. So we're going to go back to it again. And we'll just pause in a moment. Here are these four friends that have, you know, carried this guy, which wasn't, wasn't light. It wasn't like they had an easy way. There were no wheelchairs or no... Ra- handicap ramps in this place like it was they, they had to they carry this guy from wherever he was to Jesus and they, they you know they start tearing apart a roof of someone's house which is probably disappointing to that person and they and they drop they drop him down and they're expecting the friends have faith we see that Jesus says because of your faith and he's actually talking to the to the friends because of your faith your sins are forgiven which is interesting because I feel like at that moment we could have one of three reactions we know one of them, right? The scribes. Instant judgment. What? You can't forgive sins. And this is the guy that just had healed a bunch of people, calmed nature, made demons leave into bacon, and bacon went into the, into the, into the lake. And he's, I mean, he's like, he's all about like, doing all these amazing things. And then they go, wait, you can't do that. And so there's this instant judgment on him. The scribes are like, I I know, like I have this religious belief and this is what's right and Jesus you just did something that doesn't make sense and therefore instead of learning, instead of posturing myself in humility, I'm right and therefore you're wrong. You're blasphemy. That's one way you can react to Jesus in this. And the second way is I can't can't help but think of the friends and this is me reading into this so for what it's worth like you guys don't put a lot of weight on this. You can kind of have it however you want. But I think sometimes there's no detail because it's fun for us to do that. But if I'm these four friends, and it's hot in Israel, and you're, 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 you're lugging this dude that you, you care enough about to see him walk again, and you drop him, you, you know, you tear apart someone's roof, and you drop him in the middle, and you're, you know, you're about ready to be made fun of by a bunch of people. I can't help but think if, they, if, if the first thing they heard is, your sins are forgiven, going, what? you got to be kidding me. We drug this dude all the way over here to hear you say your sins are forgiven? We want him to walk, Jesus. Come on, dude. I can't help but think maybe the friends would have been disappointed in that first thing. They didn't bring him to get his sins forgiven, they brought him so he could walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then the and then there's the paralytic, the person himself, completely humiliated, been an outcast his whole life, and he's dropped in front of the Pharisees and the scribes that have hurled judgment upon judgment upon judgment upon how he is unclean, how he is of sin, how he's not welcome in the temple, how he's not welcome to worship God, and they drop him down and he says, your sins are forgiven. I feel like the paralytic could have gone one of two ways. Maybe the first one was relief. For the first time, he believes, okay, thank you. All this time, all these, these sins that have been on me, maybe he felt relief. Or, Maybe he was like, you've got to be kidding me. I want to walk, Jesus. Come on, dude. Like, let's make this happen. Either way, we're not sure what happens. But the point is I think everyone misses the point. I think every one of us missed the point. See, because everyone wanted to see Jesus do a miraculous thing, and he did one of the most miraculous things that he's ever done and is continuing to do in this world, and that is the forgiveness of sins. See, but most of us in here, we think about Jesus like, yeah, you know, at, at youth camp or at one time or i have been raised in the church or, you know, I came at whatever and it was a cool emotional experience. I accepted God as my Savior and boom, we moved on. And now we're like, okay, God, do something miraculous. Let's see you work in my finances. Let's see you work in my relationships. Let's see you work in all this. And not that any of those things are bad, but we just kind of move on, just like everyone in this story did. Oh, neat, sins are forgiven. That's weird. Make him walk, Jesus. Come on, do the miracle. That's interesting. Jesus, Matthew's laid out Jesus in this point. We've seen that he has the authority of the genealogy. He has the authority through teaching. He has authority over healing. He has authority over demons. We see him, we see him defeat Satan in temptations. Like Matthew is laying out Jesus as his king, and it comes to sins. And now he says he has authority to forgive sins. But see, for most of us, that's, that's neat. Great, good job, Jesus. You forgave sins. And I think that the problem is, is that we don't realize that forgiveness is the greatest Gift that we could have. See, the forgiveness of sins is the greatest need that every single man has. Everyone did then; everyone does now. Forgiveness of sins it meets man's greatest need. See, because sin is a transgression of God's law, First John three through four. God's it, it, it stains, it defiles, and stains God's image in man, and, and and aligns him with Satan's image. John six seventy. Sin is hostility and rebellion against God. Leviticus. Twenty six, twenty seven, or First Timothy one nine. It's ingratitude towards God. Joshua two, ten through twelve. Incurable by men. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. Affects every single person. Romans three twenty three. Brings us under the wrath of God. Ephesians two, two through three. And is so persistent that a follower of Jesus, I have to continue to fight against it to keep it from my life. Romans seven nineteen. It 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 brings emptiness. Romans eight twenty. It subjects men to trouble, Job 5:7. It gives us a lack of peace, Isaiah 57, 20, 21, an eternal separation from God for an unrepentant sinner, Second Thessalonians 1:9. And you hear this, and you hear this stuff about sin, you're like, "Oh, yeah, man, that's, that's some hard stuff, but whew, I'm good to go. I got my insurance policy, and Jesus is my savior, and I think what, what happens is that there's two hindrances. To forgiveness of sin. First one is that I don't believe I need it. I have a pretty good life. I lay me up against someone else like, dude, I'm not doing that, that, or that, so I'm obviously doing better off. So I wanted to share a story from my past with you guys. I shared this story six years ago at a youth group and had <laughs> leaders and kids hating me afterwards, so I'm going to share it here and hopefully get a different response. But <clears throat> when I was growing up, I, I wasn't raised in the church. My parents, I was raised Greek Orthodox, so literally everything was Greek to me. Um, didn't hear it, didn't understand it. <clears throat> and we left the church when I was young and didn't spend any time in the church. And I was a pretty good kid, didn't get into drugs, loved sports and did all that stuff. Um, but there was still something wrong with me. And I think, I think if we're honest, we all can kind of sense that in ourselves. There's just something missing. Like despite how good we want to be, we still find ourselves just angry or bitter or hurtful or selfish. And those of you who know me, I, I grew up playing soccer. Um, I am a terrible baseball player and thrower. I can't throw worth, a, a, like, anything. Um, and so that's important for the story. So if you wanted me to hit something with my arm, um, you know, one in ten times in my entire life probably it's happened where I've thrown something and actually hit what I was aiming for. Um, but we were playing dodgeball in seventh grade, and I grew up in Boise downtown here. And so I went to the same school, Longfellow Elementary, then North Junior High, and then Boise High School. And so the people that kind of grew up around me, we kind of grew up together. And there's this one kid, Doug, and I didn't, I didn't know much of his past, but Doug, here's the thing about Doug, he always was smiling. I mean, always smiling. And Doug was about 100 pounds overweight in second grade. He was just a really, really big boy. He was always a big boy, and I didn't know until later on, but his parents had basically given up on him, and so his grandma was the one that was raising him. And here's the thing about Doug, he wanted so bad to fit in. I mean, he wanted so bad to fit in. He was, you know, he would do anything he could to fit in. And he was so nice. He would, he would give of his money. He had no money. He would give of his time. He would, he would do everything he possibly could to be liked. And then there was me, who was, um, had a good family. I, I liked popularity, and I thought I was cool. And so I would, at the expense of others, at times trying to be cool. And not always, not always would I do that. I didn't. I wasn't this bully or anything. But, but at the times I would just try and be funny and, and at the expense of someone else, hoping to be liked by more. And so here comes dodgeball we're in the middle of dodgeball now back when I was in seventh grade they played with real you know like the boom made the nice awesome sound when you tag someone you know like the (laughs) heavy things and the rules were no headshots which no one ever followed you know I didn't mean to throw it that high which for me was usually the truth but they didn't believe that but here I was and we were playing and Doug because of his size and his speed he was he was usually out first and so he was out and on the side of the gym and I looked at my friend Brandon and Jared I'm like watch this I'm gonna hit Doug and one of Ten times, I've actually hit something I threw. I leaned back as hard as I could. Doug wasn't even looking. And just flung that ball. I mean, flung it as hard as I could and tagged Tagged him right across the side of the face. You know, and just, I mean, just knocked him on the ground. He started crying. We all laughed at his expense. And he just was totally embarrassed. Now, I wasn't a bad kid, but that is gross. That is sickness and darkness inside of me that needs to be purged. I didn't get in drugs, and I didn't you know, get a bunch of girls pregnant, and I wasn't running away, but that right there is sick darkness to treat someone else that's made in God's image that way. See, so the problem with forgiveness is some sins is some of you believe you don't need it, but you have your Doug stories. You have your stories where you look at who you are, and you're like, that makes nothing in me happy about who I was. You know what's amazing about that is that I did absolutely nothing, right? And Jesus came and died on a cross and the wrath and the judgment that I deserve for things like Doug and many other instances was poured out on Jesus Christ in my place and in your place. So the belief that you don't need it is just sick. To make a story, because everyone likes happy endings, my 10-year reunion was like six months after that, me telling that story to the youth, and the youth made me promise that I would seek forgiveness from him, and I saw that Doug was at the thing, and I went up to Doug, and I was like, dude, i got to tell you, I did this, and I was so sorry. He's like, dude, totally, like Doug, fashion still as nice as could be. Totally forgive me. I don't remember. Everyone was jerks. So don't worry about it. It's totally cool. Move on. <laughs> but the reason why I tell you that is because a lot of you in here believe you don't need forgiveness. You maybe don't say that. You maybe don't, like, want to verbalize that, but you live as if you never really needed forgiveness and you're good enough. That's a lie. That's a lie. Every single one of us is in need. I had two good parents. I great great in school, did great in sports, had all those things, had everything I needed, yet I was still sick and gross inside because I had hatred and selfish ambition and I was willing to defile God's image so that I could look better. My reputation Was more important. That's sin. That's darkness. And the only way to be free from that is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So the first issue with forgiveness of sins is that I don't need it. And some of you, you live as if you don't need it. You maybe don't say that, like I said, but you live as if you don't need it. You live going on like, I can just, I don't really need it. I'm good enough. Like, I'll go to church every now and then and and, and I'll feel good about myself. But this whole, like, surrendering to Jesus thing and giving him everything, ah, uh, I, don't, I don't really need that. When the only thing that will make you right before God is what he did. In fact, Romans 10.9 tells us how to, how to do that. It's not some fancy prayer, although it can be done in prayer. I didn't do anything to earn it. Romans 10.9 tells us that if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess in Greek means to acknowledge is true and then to surrender to. Jesus' is Lord means he's supreme controller, it means that I'm giving him absolutely everything, not just this portion of my life, but I'm holding on to this over here. He doesn't get my relationships or my money or my school or, or me Monday through Friday, but he can have me on Sunday. No, you surrender absolutely everything to him. says so you surrender and you believe it means committed to and put your trust in, in your heart, which isn't some emotional crying moment although there can be emotion around it in your heart is literally to mean the center of all that you are then you will be saved and you'll be saved and and because of that belief in me he took this gross brand that was selfish willing to defile other people a jerk to women took that person and made me white as snow and in right standing with god not because of anything i did Not because of any amazing work or how, you know what, I was in the right spot at the right time. No, because of his grace that he lavished on me. And the problem is is that most of us hear that, and that's not really miraculous anymore. Like, oh yeah, he did that, but I want him to do this. Don't you realize that's the most miraculous thing he could do? That's the greatest need of all of us. That is the point of this entire book. Its climax, its crux is on the cross. It's what he did on the cross in redeeming all of the brokenness that's in this world. Fine, you, you may think you're perfect and just lift your head up for a second and realize how broken and messed up this world is in need of redemption. I didn't do anything. And the other problem is, is that some of us believe with forgiveness that we can earn it. Again, we don't say that. That sounds unholy. But we just live that way. So we say things like, okay, God, if you take care of the situation, I won't do this, this, or this anymore. Like a bargain, like grace is some kind of currency to exchange. Or we, or, we, or we don't say even that. We just try and live our lives. Well, you know, I don't, I don't really know what Jesus, and I, I don't want to be too offensive, and so I just try and live a good life. And I figure if I do some good stuff, that I'll be okay. Like, we can earn it. The Bible says there's, there's nothing. In fact, Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Which, by the way, just before that, faith is a gift from God. We see that in Romans as well. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't earn it. So stop trying. See, and I think the problem is, is that we focus on the wrong parts of the stories. We want to see Jesus say, get up, dude, walk. And I love that Jesus did it this way. Instead he said, forgive his sins. Because that's the most biggest, most amazing need that any one of us has. And then instead of, instead of saying, oh, okay, we well, don't believe that, then he does his rhetorical question. Well, which one's easier to do? So he sends the guy out walking. And then people believe. But yet, we're going to get to a part in Matthew where Jesus starts wailing all the cities that don't believe despite the miracles they've seen. So here's my question for you. Do, Do you believe in the miraculous? And that begins, that begins in the most miraculous thing Jesus could ever do, which is making you and me our gross selves right before God. Make the guy that can throw something at a Doug, an adopted child that he deems righteous. And we all have those stories. Maybe you didn't pick up a dodgeball. Maybe there wasn't a Doug on the receiving end, but we all have stories of selfishness and hatred and bitterness and lust and addiction. We have it. Every single one of us has it. It's stained us, and we, the only way to be free from that is what Jesus Christ does in the forgiveness of sins, which requires, like we talked about last week, repenting, turning from that stuff, believing that. And here's, here's, here's the thing, and then I want to charge you and encourage all of you to pretend for a second. If you don't have kids, we've got, like, hundreds of them, ridiculous amounts out here. It's out of control. You just come hang out with a kid for a little bit and show them something new. And watch how they're enamored with it for hours and hours and hours. And and my, my charge to you would be, maybe it's time that we get a little bit more enamored with the grace that God showed us in the forgiveness of our sins. Maybe it's time we recognize how big of a deal was it that the wrath that you and I deserve was poured out on Jesus Christ in place of us so that we could be right before God. Why? Because He loves us we deserve it? Absolutely not. That's what makes it that sweet. So I hope that you don't lose sight of the miraculous. Because see, the disciples, the crowds, everyone missed it. They missed the biggest miracle that could happen, the forgiveness of sins. A holy God forgiving an unholy person. Not by anything they did, but all because of what he has done and is doing. It's almost like Jesus in the fold of this question is asking, am I enough and the full this whole text. He's not saying. He's not saying. Look, look. I don't. I don't. I know your circumstances. I know what you want. I, I just want to know. Am, am I enough for you? Not. Not. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jesus, save me for my insurance someday, and then let's let's take care of these things right here. He's saying, No. Am I enough? Just me. And my bet is in a room this size, that most of us would want to say that, but again, our lives show differently. We treat Jesus as some insurance policy and don't realize that he's saying today you can be a part of my kingdom today on earth as it is in heaven. You can be a part of bringing this, this news, this this light, this grace to the world today or or you can just use it as an insurance policy. Not really see the forgiveness of your sins as that miraculous of a thing because you are pretty awesome as it is. And pretend like what he did for you was nothing. When he Spent years upon years investing in a plan to make everything right, to undo the works, to make this world a new place. Let me pray. The band's going to come up. God, thank you, for, thank you for your word. God, in a, in a room this size, um, it's probably safe to say that there are some here that, that, that just don't want to surrender to you. They like the idea of you. They like uh, kind of roaming around like a, a bee around a, a hive but they just, they really have no desire to f- surrender. God, would you just, um, I guess I pray in, in, a, in a loving way, would you wreak havoc on their heart? Um, would you just uh, overwhelm them with your love, with your grace? Overwhelm them with um, the fact that they can't earn that? Overwhelm them that they, that you don't love some future version of them, you love them right where they're at? And that you are not done with any of us. God, for those in the room, that have experienced the miracle of forgiveness of sins, even in my life this last week as I reflected on all the gross stories of my past and even the gross stories of the present in my life, God, where I've needed your grace so presently, so, so lavish like you promised. can't help but think of how, how um, horrific life would be apart from you. Man, how, how, how ugly I was apart from you. Forgive me for forgetting the miraculous of what you've done for me. Forgive us for forgetting that miraculous thing. Forgive us for, for wanting more when really it's, it's so much less than what you've already done. Now for those in the room that, that come, I feel like we can, we can approach you in so many different ways. Maybe some of them here are, are religious. They're like scribes saying, I don't know if this is right. And they're just laying down battles on an on, on internet or, or want to be right all the time. God, would you break them of the religious, religiosity? Would you bring them to the relationship with you? And for those that that maybe think they're hoping for more, but really what they're wanting is, 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 is a life with you, would you remind them that it's just a surrender away? God, we love you and we thank you for what you did through Jesus Christ on the cross for us in our place. Forgive us for forgetting how incredibly huge of an event that is how everything in our life, everything in this world, everything in the Bible circles around that event right there, God. A salvation that, that First Peter tells us that when it happened, the angels leaned over, stopped praising you, leaned over to look and gaze upon what was happening. Something so big it took all of their attention. Something so big that you spent profit after profit giving their life to, to tell about it. Something so big that you did it for those that are your children now adopted into your home. So may we live in that. May we live in that miracle, God. Not expecting more from you, but realizing you've already done it all. And would you guide us and lead us to live by your spirit to bring more glory and honor to your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.